Welcome to Young and Adulting, a podcast of the Young Adults community at Christ Fellowship Church. Our hope is to create a safe place for authentic conversation around the ins and outs of life as we all try to navigate following Jesus in the world we live in today. Thanks for joining us and welcome to the conversation. Welcome to the seventh season of the Young and Adulting Podcast. I don't know what the temperature is at where you are, but it's about to get a little hot because we are talking about some hot topics in this season. You might know this, but we are in a series on the book of John on 20s and 30s on Tuesday night. And so we're taking this season and we're going to talk about some of the things that we aren't necessarily able to talk about on Tuesday night. So today you are in for a treat. The subject, Did Jesus Drink? Dun, 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 dun. Come on, we're talking about it. And the best way to do that is to bring in some of my friends right here. We have Pastor Ty McMillan from CFSCU. We've got Val Vajario. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. And Gavin Nine, which, by the way, is a, a name, not a number. We're glad that you're with <laughs> us today. Um, Pastor Ty, tell us a little bit about CFSCU and kind of what you do in your world. Yeah, absolutely. So CFSCU is a university that meets at Christ Fellowship Church. We're connected with Southeastern University over in Lakeland, one of their extension sites. Val Fajardio, which is the funniest pronunciation I've ever heard. Uh, Val (laughs) and Gavin, you did a great job, bro. And Gavin number nine, both of them are incredible students at CFSCU. Uh, But really what we're all about is helping Christian leaders, regardless of their major or their intended career, discover how they can be Christian leaders in their chosen spheres of influence. That's awesome. That's awesome. We are, we're big fans of CFSUU. I know y'all attend there. Um, I'm an alum. How about that? Come on. Come on. And uh, I'm a big fan and the vision of CFSUU. So if you haven't already, you need to get some information about CFSUU. We're going to link all of the links and descriptions. We're going to get you connected. It's in the show notes. So make sure that you check those out. But Pastor Ty, we're talking about the book of John. I was pretty much just here for the plug on CFSCU, so I'm, I'm going to get going now. <laughs> yeah, you might right. want to. <laughs> okay, cool. <laughs> you might want to. Uh, we read this story about Jesus and the, the wedding at Cana. I know you're going to explain a little bit of it, but so many people read this story, and then they, they realize what's happening in real life, and there's a little bit of a disconnect. So the kind of the hook is, did Jesus drink? But could sure. you Explain a little bit about that passage, what's going on there, what's the context that we need to understand before we jump into the conversation? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think um, we're going to talk about a lot that happens in the Gospel of John, Mm -hmm. and we will get to that question (laughs) at some point. All right. But the idea of did Jesus drink, it is scratching the surface of what is one of the most beautiful signs of Jesus Christ in the gospel. Right, so, I mean, right. if you want, we can just jump to the end right there and tell you that story. But um, I think it'd be beneficial and valuable for us just to read through the story in question right here. So contextually, there's there's three kind of important things that are going on. Um, but what's happening just prior to this is Jesus has just selected several disciples that are going to follow him. In fact, he just finished his first teaching. And in John chapter 2, it says the following, that on the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, who drank it? I don't know. (laughs) Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, Jesus said, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. 
We'll talk about that verse, I think, in a little bit. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind that were used by Jews for ceremonial washing. And each one of those were holding about 20 or 30 gallons. And so Jesus said to his servants, fill the jars with water. And so they were filled to the brim. And then he told them, draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so when the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, even though the servants that had drawn the water knew. And he called the bridegroom aside and said to him, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best until now. And what Jesus did in here in Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Wow. So this is the first of the signs in the Gospel of John of what Jesus does. Now, did Jesus drink? Uh, all the wine seems to be gone from the wedding, <laughs> and he seems to be pretty willing to, to bring it back, right? Uh, and so that maybe is a, is a first thought. But contextually, when we look at what's going on here in John, um, there's two things worth noting. The first is this. This, uh, on that third day, that's actually the third day from the previous four days that had been highlighted. This is a carefully constructed week in the Gospel of John that he's mm -hmm. kicking off his story with. And there's going to be a second carefully constructed week that's going to happen about 10 or so chapters from now, and that is Holy Week, what we celebrate at Easter, that Jesus is delivered as the Passover lamb. And so there are these two weeks, but this one begins with Jesus in relative obscurity. This one begins and Jesus doesn't have disciples. Jesus hasn't built a name for himself. Jesus hasn't done any signs or wonders that people would be able to say, that one is God. He is the lamb that has come to deliver us. This is his first sign. And what we see is there's a transition that Jesus goes through of being this private worshiper of God and God himself to becoming this public figure who will become the savior and then John 12, or John 11 rather, right before that second week kicks off, that second week kicks off, you can see the transition of his fame and his, or rather his infamy amongst the, the Pharisees. That second Holy Week be, kicks off with Jesus being hunted by the Pharisees. John 11, 57 says, therefore the chief priests and the Pharisees, they send out agents so that they might arrest Jesus for the purpose of killing and delivering him. The next verse over, we didn't get a chance to read it, but the next verse over, it ends really beautifully. Jesus goes with his mom and his brothers and his friends, and they just hang out. Like it's relaxed and it's, it's joyful and it's family filled. And so this first week is setting up what's going to come in the second week. Between now and then, you will see Jesus go from relative obscurity to being a well-known savior that the local and powerful religious elite are terrified of. Wow. But the second thing that happens here, and I think y'all are going to discuss this in this whole series on this podcast. We're discussing it 20s and 30s. The second thing that this kicks off are the seven signs of Jesus. Mm -hmm. The seven signs of Jesus that John highlights that describe who Jesus is. Now, I'm going to quiz my friend uh, Val oh. and Gavin. Uh, y'all are both CFSU students. So let's see. Let's Do go. you guys <laughs> happen to remember what a chiasm is? Does that word ring any bells? A chiasm? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever you say, I'll go really close. Really close. Yeah. I don't know. Gavin, do you have no. anything? <laughs> cool. I do not remember. Okay. That's all right. That was really close. Uh, <laughs> so a chiasm is something that happens all throughout scripture. And I brought, uh, I brought a page or two that we can 
pass around and maybe if there are graphics for the podcast, we can throw it on the screen. But uh, a chiasm is a part of scripture that the stories or the lines are all led in such a way that you move from a pattern of something that kicks it off and then something that ends it. And then in the very middle is the key purpose. This, uh, the, the set of seven signs is a chiasm that shows Jesus's true purpose. And so I'm going to run through them real quick, and then we're going to jump into this specific narrative. Uh, the first is a act of transformation here in this narrative, that there's a wedding at Cana. There is then a death-to-life miracle, a healing, and the center is the sacramental meal that Jesus declares himself the bread of life, and then another healing, another death-to-life narrative, and then another transformation. And so the wedding at Cana is actually set as the first part that meets its counterpart in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That there is a transformation from water to wine here in this story, just as there will be a transformation from the earthly to the heavenly body that Jesus Christ has. And so contextually, that's what's going on in the Gospel of John, in John chapter 2. The author here is setting up what he is going to then deliver on over the course of the entire narrative. Now, there's a ton in this story that we can dive into. There's some really, really cool stuff that's present throughout this narrative, but um, figured we could break for a second, talk through some questions, talk through when we read this story, what comes to mind for y'all. That's great. That's great. Other than uh, the question on what a chiasm is, you guys have any (laughs) questions for for Pastor Ty? That was, I I so appreciate that context. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. That was awesome. Absolutely. For sure. I think a question I would have, because um, you're talking about all about the context that is, was in the book, the mm-hmm. chiasms, like everything that's connected. How would someone who like maybe reading this book for the first time, like with who doesn't know the context, who doesn't know the chiasm, how would they like read this and be like, wait, so Jesus was here. Does that mean like kind of what Lewis, the blunt question is, was, was Jesus is drinking? Was he not? Was he doing this for himself and his disciples? Was he doing it because it was for the wedding that he was sure. at? Yeah, so, yeah. All right, so that's a great question. So let's just jump in right to the hot topic, right? Like, (laughs) did Jesus drink? And in John, there's a few things that we could infer potentially that he was drinking, that he's making more alcohol at a party is a pretty good sign. But if we just jump back two Gospels to Matthew, uh, we actually are going to find a verse that really easily explains this. Now, the answer is a tiny bit complicated. There's three answers to the question, did Jesus drink? And the answers are, he used to drink. He's not drinking right now, but he's going to drink again. All right. So uh, let's turn to uh, Matthew. That was a lot, but he's going to make it nice and simple for us. I think I got it in my notes right here. All right. So Matthew 26, verse 29, uh, Jesus is talking to his disciples and they are taking the first communion, right? It's a beautiful moment. And as Jesus is breaking the bread and he's pouring the wine, he says this. I tell you this, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you in my father's kingdom. Hmm. And so we know Jesus used to drink. He says, I'm not going to drink it again, but he's not drinking it until we will be with him in new creation. Hmm. A lot of folks read that and they, they gloss over it, but there's some real spiritual significance when we talk about what kind of savior and what kind of Lord we have in Jesus. Think about this. The next time that you're feeling spiritually isolated or alone or feeling like no one understands or cares for you, Jesus Christ is fasting for
for you. Wow. Whenever you're down, the savior of the universe, he is fasting right now for your sake. Wow. He's a sympathetic high priest that is actually abstaining from a joy in life because he's waiting to enjoy that pleasure, that luxury with us in the new kingdom. That's wild to think about. Yeah. Wow. Whenever, whenever we talk about this, you said he, he used to drink, he's not drinking right now, and he's going to drink um, again when, in that new heaven, that new earth, whenever everything's made new. That, that's a wild thought to think about. Um, whenever these people were at this party, do you think they understood all of that? No, okay. not at all. <laughs> like John, one of John, the author's favorite things to do is to write characters that have no idea what's going on, <laughs> right? Like that master of the of the banquet, right? Like look at what he says. Everyone brings out the choice wine first and the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. Jesus's first sign, the first of these seven, gets ascribed to the wrong guy, <laughs> right? The servants know what's going on. Jesus and his family knows what's going on. But the master of the serve of the house, the 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 folks that are present, they all think it's the groom that deserves the honor, mm-hmm. right? And so, uh, I think when when we look at the gospel, even when we don't really know what's going on, that's okay. We're in good company. Most of the uh, characters in the Gospel of John don't really have an idea of what's going on until Jesus Christ is resurrected from the dead. Well, that's, that's encouraging. Yeah. Whenever yeah. I read the Bible, some of the people in the Bible are still trying to figure That's it right. Out. That's right. Yeah. We're in the same boat. Wow. No, for sure. And like as as we're reading this, there's just like this one question that just comes to mind because it's like like this is the first miracle that we see like Jesus perform, but why wasn't it like healing? Like why why would it be the wine? Like how is that so impactful to like to us now? Yeah. yeah. That's a really good question. Like why why would it be water to wine instead of raising somebody from the dead or right, healing yeah. a blind man. Um, I think that's a really good question. I, If I had to guess, I would assume that it has to do with uh, what John's doing chiastically, this mm. transformation. And what you see in that is that there is a hinting towards uh, the Jewish religion and faith, right? Like uh, there in John chapter 2 in verse 6, uh, the mother gives the command, do whatever he says. And nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding about 20 to 30 gallons, which is almost full. They're all almost full. And when you think about six stone jars like that are holding 20 to 30, these things are pretty large. Now, the Jewish rites of purification would have been washing yourself, would have been washing key dishes that are going to be used in the wedding uh, ceremony. But what Jesus says here, fill the jars with water. And so they filled them to the brim. I think, I'm guessing here, the reason why this story kicks off, especially understanding that chiastic structure, is Jesus is showing that he is the fulfillment and the completion of the Jewish hope. Mm. Notice that he's not throwing out Judaism. He doesn't say, okay, drain it all and I'm going to replace it with wine. In fact, they're almost full as if almost like the messianic hope is almost full, right? As if the Jewish hope is almost full. He fills it up just a little bit more to where it's filled completely to the brim. And then once it's filled, in that moment, you see the transformation take place to something that is um, even better, right? This precious and delicious and better than all of the rest, wine. 
And so I think that John is just setting up with his audience this transformation narrative so that when we see the next transformation take place, Jesus's earthly body to the heavenly body, we are recognizing um, that this was what his ministry was about all along, fulfilling that messianic hope and bringing the good and the new that they had waited for and hoped for for so long. That is awesome. The the messianic hope was almost full. That's I'm getting so much out of this. John's brilliant. I'm, I'm <laughs> loving this, but you're pretty smart too. You, you know what? Yeah, hopefully, the, hopefully the Holy Spirit is helping me like you he helped John. Uh, but man, this this gospel is full of so many deep connections, and you can read it once and have no clue about any of them, and you walk away going, "Jesus is Lord, awesome." Yeah. yeah. But the longer you look at it and the deeper you dwell on it, oh my gosh, there is so much beauty that he has packed into this gospel. Wow. Well, I'm going to ask about the second question. Every time I read this story, I wonder about the water to wine. I wonder, like, did Jesus drink? I ask that question. The other question is about Jesus's mom here. This is Mary. I feel like we only hear about her at Christmas. And then she shows up again in this story and says, hey, we need this to happen. Mm -hmm. It's not like a, hey, Jesus, will you perform a miracle? It doesn't seem like a huge show of faith. She just walks up to some people and says, do whatever he tells you to do <laughs> and walks away. Like that's a, it's a mom move for sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, but can you explain if there really is a purpose behind all these little details, what, what's John doing in that moment right there? Sure. Why is he including all of it? Yeah. Um, interesting part of John. There's actually not a Christmas story in John. Oh, what? my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> but dude, three out of four times you nail it. You're totally I'm, right. I'm losing it. <laughs> uh, there's, so there's not a Christmas story, but you're but you're right on the money. Yeah. This is the first time that Mary's making a significant appearance in the gospel. In fact, yeah. I think it's the first of two times that Mary is going to make an appearance in the gospel. The second time is at the crucifixion of Christ, where Mary and the disciple that Jesus loves uh, are at the cross looking up uh, at Jesus being crucified, mm -hmm. right? Um so when, when I read through this text, uh, it's really significant that Mary's present here. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, Val, I'd, I'd love to throw the question uh, to you and to Gavin. When y'all look at uh, the way that Mary talks about Jesus and maybe the way that Mary talks to Jesus, what do y'all feel like it communicates about what she believes about who he is? You know, I... I feel like she's very confident in who mm -hmm. he is, at least like from what we see in this scripture. Like she's like, I already know that he can do it. Like all you have to do is just listen yeah. is all that she's saying. And I feel like she it's a very confident and a very bold thing to say because they're like, how is he going to turn this into wine? Like it's not like they had like the little packets of flavoring to change the water. But like, you know, <laughs> it's completely different. And um, she's just like, no, just listen to him and you'll be able, like, you will get the wine that you need it. And it mm -hmm. not even, it's not even just, like, some wine, but it's, like, the best wine. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I love that. a bold lady. Yeah, it's awesome. Gavin, what do you see about Mary and her character and what she believes about Jesus? Um, I think she's, I think, I like what Val was saying, how she's confident in him, that ever since an angel kind of came down to her and first told her about the birth of Jesus through her, she's, I think believe she's been confident in him throughout that whole time. And this is also showing it how... Like she's just saying to him, like they have no more wine, as if she knows that he can turn that water into wine. Yeah, I love the way that you just described that. That ever since the angel right makes an appearance, yeah. if there is any person on planet Earth at this time 
who knows what Jesus is capable of, it has to be Mary. That's true. Mm-hmm. Right? Like, I know my kids pretty well. I've spent a lot of time with my children. Mm-hmm. Um, Mary knows Jesus so well. And I wonder if it's because Mary knows Jesus so well and because she has been part of this story for now decades that we see that confidence that you're pointing out, right? That we see that that assertive belief that whatever he says, the job will get done, right? Like she can, mm-hmm. she knows that there's a need. One one scholar, Marian Thomas says, uh, whenever Mary is so confident in who Jesus is that whenever she sees a need, she knows where to turn mm-hmm. and it's Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And for us, like may we have that same confidence that Mary had and that same belief that when we see a need, be it something drastic and huge, Val, like you mentioned earlier, this uh, act is almost trivial for the Lord of the universe to be involved with, right? And in fact, Jesus hints at it in his in his language response, but he responds to Mary, uh, her her call for help, right? Yeah. And for us, like whatever trivial thing we may be calling on the Lord to assist us with, if we believe that He can indeed deliver, this text would imply He will, mm. right? And so let's all have that same spirit of Mary. When Mary, like, she first went up to Jesus and, like I said, she told him, she was like, they have no more wine. His, like, he was really kind of reluctant at first, like, also bluntly saying, he's like, why do you involve me? Yeah. It's, and then he says, but another thing that he says right after um, that I really would like for you to dive into is, like, my hour has not yet come. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Talking about his timing. So, like, what what would the context on that maybe, Pastor Ty? Yeah, absolutely. Um so looking at right there, uh, woman, why do you involve me? The Greek here is really, really weird, like the original tra- uh, the original language. Um, and any translation that you read, they they gave it a great shot, right? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a harder to read uh, text. Um, but I think the first thing that maybe draw attention to here is uh, when he responds, woman, why do you involve me? Um, Val, as a, as a woman... <laughs> <laughs> If you were to ask someone in this circle a question and they were to respond with woman and then uh, and then launch into their answer, what would be like your emotional response to that? Emotionally, I literally I just look at them and be like, excuse me. Right. Who? Yes. Like, yes. Who? But what? <laughs> like, you know, right. I don't. I'd be very flabbergasted if yeah. I'm going to be honest. Flabbergasted, yeah. wow. Flabbergasted. Which I think is a very natural way of how our language works. Yeah. That we read that and we go, Woman. What? what? <laughs> That's not exactly the way that we talk to ladies, Jesus. Like, I, I need to give you a tip or two here. Uh, the reason I want to draw attention to that is when you look at how Jesus uh, talks to Mary here. Um, woman, if you look at how that's contextually used, is not going to carry that same rudeness. It's not going to carry that same aggressiveness and aggression. Yeah. Um, but one scholar points out uh, that what matters here is that uh, he calls her woman instead of mother, mm-hmm. instead of mom. And the suggestion here is that Jesus, with so many of these signs, he is showing that he and the Father are one, that he uh, and God the Father, they are one heart, one work, one mind. And so his decision to not use the term mother um, is actually like a characterization of Jesus because he's not focused on the earthly relationships uh, as his family. He's actually focused on his divine relationship with Jesus as his father. Uh, he's going to use this same term. If you're worried about it feeling rude and aggressive, this is actually the same term. I think he meant it with honor that he's going to declare about her 
uh, when he's on the cross. He's going to say, woman, behold your son, mm-hmm. right, when he's talking to John. And so he uh, he's going to use this term in two different areas in two different ways, and both in a way of, in my opinion, honor and respect towards Mary, um, but in a way that distinguishes his relationship with her um, because he he does not have an earthly father and mother in the traditional sense, right? Or rather, John's trying to emphasize his divine parenthood and parentage over his earthly. And then as far as the hour has not yet come, there is a, an, a, there is an excitement around the crucifixion and the resurrection. There's an excitement around the cross that is present. Uh, this is probably, this is off the cuff, and so I might be off a little bit on my, my scriptures here, but I believe that John is the gospel that we actually don't see him uh, weeping uh, or, or sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. Because the cross to John is not a symbol of shame. It's actually a symbol of honor. It's actually a symbol of glory. Uh, And so when we see Jesus here talking about the hour has not yet come, it's building an anticipation not only for Mary and the disciples, but also in the readers of, well, what is the hour? What is the hour? What is the hour? Um, And it is the triumphant moment that Jesus defeats death and then uh, is raised again into new life and the resurrection. Wow. That's great, Pastor. Whenever whenever we started this, the question was, did Jesus drink? I think it's pretty obvious that the context of this goes way beyond a, a surface-level question there. We're talking about anticipation for the cross. We're talking about the structure in the layout. A lot of it's the purpose of the book of John, and so many different things were involved. But that is a question that a lot of people have, have asked, are asking. I love your answer that he did drink, he's not drinking now, he's fasting for us, what a cool thought. Mm-hmm. Um, he will drink again in the future, and it's really, we talk about this a lot, it's a wisdom decision. Mm-hmm. What's the wise thing to do? In fact, I know a lady, a l- little bit older than me, but alcohol kind of ruined her life, and so she got to a place where she gave her life to Jesus and said, well, if Jesus isn't going to drink until the new heaven and the new earth, neither am I. Mm-hmm. And so that was... a. Uh, Actually, that that passage right there was a passage of freedom for her wow. to do something in common with Jesus right now yeah. until that moment. So could you really share cool. uh, a little bit of wisdom on how do, how do we as Christians approach this? Uh, we're talking to 20s and 30s, which means 21s and 30s. <laughs> um, but how can, we, how can we approach this with wisdom? Yeah, when you look at Scripture— um, Wine has this, and, and alcohol in general, has this really interesting relationship with the authors of Scripture, where at times it is a symbol that is consistently equated with like the gospel. It is consistently equated with the blessing of God. Um, we take it in sacrament, in communion, right? Um, while simultaneously throughout, especially the Old Testament, um, wine being the undoing of so many, right? Whether it is Noah, uh, whether it is the countless examples in the Proverbs of, of what becomes of a drunk, uh, that list is going to keep moving and moving and moving. And so scripture seems to have a relationship with alcohol that is one that says, this is a gift from God. It is a symbol of blessing and of beauty. And just like every other gift of God, um, it can be twisted by uh, misuse, mm-hmm. right? And it can destroy lives. The Proverbs are not um, shy at all about describing how destructive alcohol can be in the life uh, of the person who becomes a slave to it. Mm -hmm. 
And so I think scripturally, when we look at it, there is a recognition of God's grace and blessing that's shown in it, um, while simultaneously an understanding that this is one of those gifts that Satan loves to twist in the hands of believers and in the hands of uh, God's creation. And so I think it's one that we can appreciate, that we can celebrate, um, but we need to approach with a certain level of caution, uh, understanding that Satan loves to ruin believers' lives with it. Wow. That's great, Pastor. We've got one more question. Uh, it will it will change the tone of the conversation a little bit, all right? The question is this. It's just for fun. But uh, I'm curious, if you had a time machine, all right, you okay. could go back or forward at any point in time, where are you going to go and why? We're going to hear from you and also from Val and Gavin. What do we got? As... Uh, tempting as it sounds to go back to the wedding at Cana to try that incredible wine. <laughs> uh, for me, the answer is easy. It's forward. I want to see the future. I'm going to dial that thing as far as that little right. lever can go. Yep. Take me there. Let me see it. And then hopefully, like right after I've seen it for about a second, Jesus is showing up. All right. That's awesome. Let's wrap this thing up. <laughs> That's great. What about y'all? Where are you going to go? I think I would go past. I don't know. I'm just, I'm a history geek. So I just, I would love to see like everything, maybe like even the whole gospel, like just play out and like be a part of it. Like, of course, I'll know the truth and be like, he's the Messiah. But um, I would love to um, just be there and observe like people's raw reactions and emotions to just everything going on, like to the miracles, like Lazarus uh, being resurrected, like just seeing everyone being in shock and in awe of just what Jesus is doing. So I think it'd be dope. Very cool answer. Yeah. Gavin? I'm going to have to go with what you said, Pastor Ty, to the, to the future, to forward. I'm, just, I'm someone who's excited for the future, like not just for myself, but just in general. I just want to see what's in store for it. Because like, if you think back, like, I'm going to make you guys feel old, like 1900s, <laughs> way back when. Why does that make <laughs> me feel old? I don't know, way back. That feels like a long time ago. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> right. But it's like crazy. people are like, man, in 2024, like, 2025, there's going to be flying cars and yada, yada, yada. I mean, we don't have that, but it'd be cool to like see like how far in the future, not just how like Earth and humanity develops, but to like see where the church is at that point too. Like, because as someone who also like serves in student ministry, it's excited to see where they end up, how they will have an impact on the future, and then also like hopefully it goes super far and just the rapture just happens. I'm just like, all right, I'm ready. There you go. There you go. I think I'd go back. To whatever the the date, the time that Roger Goodell started to write the script for the NFL, and I would have had the Dolphins <laughs> win a couple more games and maybe go to some Super Bowls. Wow! So I could enjoy those today. There it is. I love it. Thank you so much for being here for having this conversation. I, I hope, if anything, this challenges us to read Scripture closer. Mm-hmm. All right, it's not just the what's the first question that I can ask whenever I see this passage, but there is gold underneath all of it because mm-hmm. scripture is is the word of God and we could read it and never exhaust the meaning of it. Some of the topics that we talked about today are are not just topics in your life. They're more like uh, issues in your life. They are pains in your life. Whenever we bring up some subjects, uh, maybe we, when we talked about drinking, your mind went back to a regret that you've had, uh, a, a memory that you missed out on or, or somebody that hurts you or that you have hurt. So Friend, I want to let you know that the entire story of the the gospel is that Jesus redeems our stories. There is no person too far gone, no story that cannot be rewritten. Jesus does this every single day. 
And I would encourage you to take a next step is to join a Celebrate Recovery at Christ Fellowship. We meet every single Tuesday night, 630. Uh, it is a community of people who together are recognizing that, yeah, we might have some hurts, some habits, some hangups, but Jesus is real. Jesus is powerful. And who, who the sun sets free is free indeed. And it's a, it's a community of freedom. So friend, I want to encourage you to get connected to that. Don't miss out on that opportunity because Jesus has come so that you could have life and life to the full. Uh, that means a life with no regrets, with no, I wish I would have a life that is purposed. And I believe God has that for you. But friend, if you have been watching this podcast, man, I'm so excited for you. The entire season is about these subjects that we don't necessarily get to talk about on Tuesday night, but we are, we're going there. We're going to get the gold out of scripture this season. So the year is 2024 and the podcast is young and adulting. That is the only thing you need to subscribe to. You need to be a friend, share it with a friend, tell them to like it, subscribe it, stay up to date. We have incredible topics that we're talking about the next couple of weeks. So we don't want you to miss it. We'll see you right back here at Young and Adulting next time. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Young and Adulting. Follow us on Instagram at cf.youngadults. And if there's a topic you'd like to talk about, we want to hear about it. Send us an email or leave a comment with your thoughts. We'll see you next time.